Welcome to Covenant's Pulpit Ministry. Covenant Evangelical Free Church believes that the Bible is the Word of God and that God's Word is vital for life-transforming Christianity. We trust that you will grow to know the Word of God and more importantly, the God of the Word as you hear this message today. May God bless you as you open your heart to His Word. Good morning. Very glad to see us here in person at Woodlands Centre. And regardless whether you're tuning in for Bukit Panjang Centre, East Centre or online, we welcome you back to our Sunday service and we trust that you have had a fruitful time blessing your family and friends during the Lunar New Year period. And we are starting our series on First and Second Thessalonians. Everybody say yes. And can you also turn to your neighbour and say to your neighbour, please fasten your seatbelt. Fasten your seatbelt because we're going to take off this morning and turn with me please to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. We're going to begin at verse 6. Chapter 1, verse 6 of 1 Thessalonians. About three years ago, an Australian newspaper sought to find the model Australian of the year. They were looking for someone who would model a whole long list of values such as hard work, honesty, and fair play. Now, you want to make a guess who these candidates might potentially be? Perhaps, you know, famous celebrities like Nicole Kidman, Hugh Jackman, you know, Chris Hemsworth, or famous sports stars. But here was who they awarded as the Model Australian of the Year on screen. Some of us are wondering, what in the world? Finding a dearth of role models in the two-legged world, including eight other nominees well-known in the cultural, political, and academic scenes, Wings the Horse was crowned Australian of the Year after being the only Australian that met the winning criteria. Surprise! Now, when it comes to the Apostle Paul's choice of the church of the year, the model church by which churches should emulate and aspire towards, the choice is likewise surprising. I mean, he founded churches in Corinth, in Ephesus, in Philippi, but for all the churches, he singles out the church at Thessalonica. Now, turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 6, and here's what it says about this church. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all believers in Macedonia, which is where Thessalonica was the capital, and in Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything about you. Now, what exactly about this church that Paul says model church, church of the year? Now, when you think of a model church today, what local church comes to mind? Now, perhaps a fast-growing mega church led by a senior pastor with a captivating personality. Or a small church where everybody knows everybody, everybody is serving. An established church with a rich heritage of spirituality from years or decades past. But the church at Thessalonica was none of these. In fact, 
Some church members were lazy and idling instead of working hard, thinking, what's the point of working so hard when Jesus is coming so soon? Others had major FOMO, fear of missing out, because they thought the second coming had already happened and they were left stranded behind and they had missed the last train. And this church, in fact, was comprising of baby Christians who were trying to hold themselves together under the weight and the pressure of persecution. So what about this church, Paul says, model church, we must aspire towards? I believe the answer is found in verse 9 and 10. Verse 9, For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols and to serve the living and true God and to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. To wait for His Son from heaven. In other words, here was a church waiting and ready to meet King Jesus. Regardless of whatever struggles, whatever difficulties, how immature or mature they are. I want to suggest to us, my friends, that here in First Thessalonians lies for us at least three marks of a people ready to meet King Jesus. There are at least three. Now, later on in the year, when we look at Second Thessalonians, we will see another three, but here are, the, here are the first three. And what these marks serve for us is to assess as a reality check of our own readiness as we live in these end times. Does that make sense? This becomes our own litmus test. Now, here are the three marks. The first, our readiness to meet King Jesus is seen firstly in our readiness to suffer for the Lord. To suffer for the Lord. Now we pick up what Paul says now or writes in chapter 2 verse 14. Verse 14. He already mentioned in chapter 1 that you received the word with much affliction. Now chapter 2 verse 14. For you brothers became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered, same idea now, the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews. Now, what exactly happened that they were suffering? The church in Thessalonica was founded by the Apostle Paul and Silas. They were having their mission trip in Asia. They wanted to go up north. The Holy Spirit stopped them. At night, they saw a vision of a man from Macedonia waving them and says, come and help us. They crossed the sea and had their first foray into modern-day Europe, starting with Philippi, and then from Philippi here, they were at Thessalonica. And because Paul was a Jewish religious leader, he leveraged on his status as a rabbi and taught at the synagogue. Now, the Bible says, now you, you find the story in Acts 17, that when he was teaching in the synagogue on, on the Sabbaths, it wasn't the rah-rah, you know, the emotional hype type. He was reasoning, explaining from the Scriptures, the Old Testament, proving, persuading people that Jesus is the one the Old Testament was describing as the coming Messiah, and He has already come. It was logical, it was coherent, reasonable, and some Jews started to be persuaded and convinced. Other Jews became jealous. And when the Bible says that they were jealous, the word there was, in our English, is mal. It's literally, they were boiling. 
Paul was seen, therefore, as someone who rocked the boat, questioned the establishment, their misplaced zeal took the better of them, and what they did was they, they connived a plot and they ambushed the house of a young convert. An angry mob was formed, they banged on the door until perhaps the door was broken down and they barged in, took this guy called Jason by the collar, dragged him and some other converts all the way to the town hall, made a false charge to say that these guys have pledged loyalty to a new king called Jesus and therefore are no longer loyal, they are rebelling against the Roman king. Now by then, obviously, the authorities were alarmed because the governor's job is really to keep the peace in the city. And by then, there was already a major uproar. An angry mob had already formed. Can you sense the intimidation for these young Christians? They, they were like chicks without a mother hand to protect them. I, I saw someone post this online. My boss tells me I intimidate my co-workers. Therefore, I stare at my boss until he apologised. Intimidation. And the early converts had no choice. Paul wasn't around to defend himself. And they therefore gave security money to the authorities as a promise, a guarantee. There'll be no more trouble. But Paul and Silas had to leave the city quickly and quietly. Do you see, therefore, that their suffering included opposition? It's not the step you behind the back type. It's like right in your face, intimidate. And not only did they suffer opposition, they had to suffer separation from Paul, their spiritual father and their spiritual mother. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians that I feel as though I'm a spiritual mother to you, nursing you from your baby stage. But there was no choice. They had to allow Paul to leave quickly and quietly. Paul had to pry himself away from, from them. And not only was Paul and Silas separated from them, later on, Paul was separated from Silas because of the opposition. They went to Berea, the next city. And what happened was that these same Jews who created trouble travelled the 72 kilometres to Berea, created the same problem, caused a ruckus. And Paul had to leave quietly and quickly to another city called Athens by himself. And later on, Timothy was separated from these two to come back to Thessalonica to see how these baby Christians were doing. Suffering through opposition and separation. You see, my friends, when we choose to follow Jesus and stay faithful to Him, especially in these last days, we need to buckle our seatbelt because it's going to be a bumpy ride. Pastor, where got opposition? We have religious racial harmony in Singapore, what? Right? We worship in air-conditioned sanctuaries. We sit on nice, cushy, comfortable seats like this. Or if you're worshipping at home, no one suddenly bangs on our door and wants to barge in and arrest us because we're Christians. And most, we, we cannot complain because we sing too loud. But other than that, we go opposition. The opposition will come in the form of popular culture especially cancel culture. We live in a time and age where if there is someone, no matter whether celebrity or otherwise, has behaviours, attitudes and make a statement that goes against the grain of the popular narrative, this person is cancelled, called out, singled out, even shamed in public or even on social media to a point that organizations and establishments are being boycotted. 
when it comes to our faith, my friends, what the values we stand for, be it in the areas of marriage and family, where today the, the boundaries and what encompasses marriage has been redefined, be it in the arenas of ethics and morality, where what was black and white now is creative shades of grey, how are we going to stand firm in the midst of such voices? Now, thankfully, thankfully, the Church of Jesus is still part of the majority now. What if and when we are no longer the majority? Opposition and separation. In the early days when Walt Disney had some creative or some crazy dream, he had to gear up to face the board because every time he presented all these fantastic dreams, such as having an amusement park that is clean and organised, we call Disney World, the, the, the board would just stare at him you know, and just gulp in disbelief, resist the idea and says it's too crazy, it can't be done and so on. And Walt Disney would conclude that until and unless everybody in the board disagrees unanimously, he will not pursue it. You heard correctly. Only if everybody in the board disagrees together, he will pursue the dream all the way because it was a dream worth giving his life to. My friends, if and when we are no longer part of the majority anymore, here's the good news according to the Scriptures. If God is on our side, God plus one equals majority. Can we say amen? But as a church of Jesus today, how we respond today becomes the reference point for tomorrow. Let me say that. Our response today becomes the reference point for tomorrow, for future generations. Because what one generation neglects, the next generation will reject. What one generation compromises, the next generation trivializes. And therefore, there is a call I trust you hear from our senior pastors that in such a time as this, the righteous must stand firm and take action. Now, by all means, we need to be gentle. We need to be respectful. But it's a time for us to be watchful, for us to be faithful, and for us to be fruitful in doing the works of God so that in so doing, we are the people staying faithful and true to God's call as we live in the end times. Our readiness to wait and meet King Jesus is seen firstly in our readiness to suffer for the Lord through opposition and separation. Secondly, our readiness to meet King Jesus is seen in our readiness to please the Lord. To please the Lord. Chapter 4, verse 1 now. Chapter 4, verse 1. Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, notice, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. Somewhere in chapter 2, in verse 4, Paul had told them, the church, that just as we've been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, we speak not to please men, but to please God. And he tells the church, now you follow my example and please God more and more. Now, question, what does pleasing God look like for them practically so that they put a smile on God's face? If you read on chapter 4, verse 2, 
For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For it is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honour, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. In other words, Paul was saying to the Thessalonian church, please God, by walking in holiness, because when you do, you put a smile on God's face. Why so? You see, when God chose to reveal himself to the world, the fastest and easiest way, and the Bible says he lives in unapproachable light, right? The fastest and easiest way is to suddenly come down from heaven and ta-da! That everybody goes, ah, get blinded, right? And they know he's God. But for some reason, some mysterious reason, he chooses a segment out of the world population called the church, spread them everywhere to infiltrate the world, and says to them that because I've called you out of darkness into my light, I'm transforming you by the Holy Spirit from the inside out. By the way you live, people catch a glimpse of what I am like. And when that happens, it pleases God because God sees that and says, way to go, that's the way to go. In the words of Blaise Pascal, the serene beauty of a holy life is the most powerful influence in the world next to the power of God. St. Francis of Sissi, sanctify yourself and you will sanctify society. And the world that the Thessalonian Christians lived in was a world in great need to be sanctified. It was a sex-saturated world. Now, we saw this in our devotional journal, I believe, and on Thursday itself, and I quote this from Pastor David. Thessalonica had all the vices of any bustling trade city. Theatrical works slid more and more towards the violent and sexually crude. Arrival by sea and land would demand drinking, gambling, and sex, and part of the economy of the city was keeping visitors satisfied. Young men in particular were expected to have an active sex life with slaves, prostitutes, and lovers. And I add here the backdrop and, and how it was like in, in the Roman world then, that some men would even keep boys approaching puberty age in their homes as their personal sex companions. Porn paintings would hang on the households of the upper class. Some religious festivals would feature nude dancing. In their pagan temples, men would have sex with the temple prostitutes as their act of worship to receive the blessing of fertility from these gods. Can you see, therefore, that when Paul the Apostle travelled from city to city, the kind of temptations he would have to face constantly, non-stop. Now, sure, he's the Apostle Paul, but he's also a man with testosterone. He gives us a key in chapter 4 in this purity battle. Chapter 4, verse 9. Now, besides him obviously traveling with companions from city to city so that he's not alone, I believe chapter 4, verse 9 gives us a key in our purity battle. Verse 9. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourself have been taught by God to love 
one another. Uh, how does this idea of love and holiness connect? How come, like, jump from one thing to another? I believe in Paul's brilliance. He found an antidote to lust. The antidote is called love. You see, in our modern day, the temptations are still there. It, it, it comes in varied forms. It can be that sweet young thing in the office or gorgeous young thing. It can be that, that item on sale that you've been eyeing online constantly. It's something that draws us, something that arouses us, stirs our, our emotions. And, and what Paul does is to help us not just fight the purity battle, just about, oh, you know, I, I need to you know, uh, have self-control. I need to fight it. I need to say no. I need to, don't see. The, the focus is still us. But when we focus on loving others, guess what? Your heart enlarges, so something beyond yourself. You spin in a different positive and proactive direction. And you will begin to notice lust no longer takes the front seat of your life. Does that make sense? And therefore, when, even before Paul talks about holiness in chapter 4, he gives a benediction at the end of chapter 3. And this is what the benediction says. Chapter 3, verse 12. Verse 12, and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Now in this benediction, he tells the Thessalonian Christians, God will do his part to keep us holy. What is our part? Abound in love. Focus on loving one another because when you do, a stronger desire takes over. C.S. Lewis, who wrote the book The Great Divorce, narrates a story in this book about a ghost with a small red lizard on his shoulder. And the red lizard will constantly nag, whisper at him to disturb him, to distract him. And the ghost will keep asking the lizard, keep quiet, keep quiet to no avail. One day, a bright shining presence comes to this ghost and offers to this ghost uh, help to get rid of that red lizard once and for all. The ghost says, no, no, no need, no need. Because the ghost knows that the lizard needs to die but was unwilling. Perhaps, perhaps, you know, I can help tame the lizard. I can train him how to keep quiet and so on. But the shining presence tells this ghost that all these efforts will not work. And finally, the ghost consented and this shining presence comes, takes this red lizard and pries it off the shoulder of the ghost, breaks its back, throws it on the ground and something magical happens. The ghost becomes a full, perfect man. The lizard becomes transformed into a silver and gold stallion. This man mounts the horse and together they ride into the morning as one. And C.S. Lewis concludes the story by saying this, What is a lizard compared with a stallion? Lust is a poor, weak, whimpering, whispering thing compared with that richness and energy of desire which will arise when lust has been killed.
My friends, for lust to die, something stronger must take over. It's called love. And when love takes over the way God intends, not only do you find that you have no more time to lust, you'll find your energy channeled in not just the right direction, but in the God direction, such that we fulfill the destiny as the church of Jesus. Recently, there was a couple in our church who contracted COVID. And they had to therefore self-isolate together in a room. Preparing and cooking meals became a problem. And this was the time that the CG surrounded them. The CG was mobilized basically to take turns to provide, became their grab delivery, provide meals, three meals a day to tide them over their isolation period. And when I, as a district pastor, when I saw this CG, I was so proud of this CG because that's how loving one another looks like. That we think less of ourselves and more of others. And in so doing, Jesus says that by this man will know that you are my disciples if you love one for another. That's fulfilling our mission, fulfilling our destiny. Ask God, my friends, for love to abound in our hearts. Focus our time and energies on doing so. Because when we do so, the red lizard dies. Our readiness to meet King Jesus is seen firstly in our readiness to suffer for the Lord, secondly to please the Lord, and finally in our readiness to live with the Lord. To live with the Lord. Chapter 5 verse 9 now. We're coming to the end of the letter. Chapter 5 verse 9. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus. Now, I trust you have also read in our devotional journal, which we strongly encourage you to follow along with us in this series, that every chapter in 1 Thessalonians ends with something about the second coming of Jesus. Chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. But notice how Paul the Apostle again brilliantly bookends both chapter 1 and 5 with something about the second coming that the people cannot miss. Chapter 1, verse 10. Chapter 1, verse 10 and to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. And then chapter 5, verse 9 now. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through Jesus. Do you see the golden thread? For us, as disciples of Jesus, when the day of the Lord happens, it will be a time by which our sorrows and sufferings will be no more. Fullness of joy and life ensues. The champagne is popped and the celebration begins. But for those who are the enemies of God, be it demonic or human, the lights go out on them. The entire world is flattened under God's judgment. When the Bible talks about wrath, the Old Testament picture given to us is a God who is agitated. Not in the way we get annoyed, but the, the idea is, is, is like a fire, a campfire that you stoke, you keep throwing fuel, charcoal, and, and the flame it, it blazes even brighter, stronger, with greater intensity, and it's fearsome. God, God is agitated, and, and His nostrils flare with the anger. And, and when we look at God 
with a picture like this, it, it defies our modern day senses because how can a God so loving, so patient, so kind be so angry that judgment comes? Can I suggest that as I study the scriptures, what God feels is not just an emotion called anger. He feels a root emotion. It's called grief. Now, in Genesis, when sin entered the world and the spiral of sin went downwards with murder, sexual immorality, and so on, chapter 6, verse 6, before the flood came, that, that big judgment across the entire world came, except for Noah and his family, chapter 6, verse 6 tells us that the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth and it angered him to his heart. No, it grieved him. Meaning, when God saw how sin has destroyed the world, damaged everybody, when it comes to this spiritual virus, my friends, the, the infection rate is 100%. Fatality rate, 100%. God saw that and his heart was deeply grieved. Out of that grief came a righteous anger at sin. The anger that drove him to make it right and to make it new. Does it make sense? And therefore, here is our God coming judgment. And Paul says to the Thessalonian church now that make sure that you are ready as you wait for Jesus to live with the Lord, not just on the other side of eternity, but on this side as you wait for His coming. A readiness to live with the Lord. For the past few weeks, the weather in Singapore has been heating up. Thankfully, we had some rain this morning. And I came across eight signs, eight signs that the weather is too hot. Number one, you break into a sweat the instant you step outside, which happened to me. The trees are whistling for the dogs. Hot water now comes out of both taps. Your seat belt buckle makes a very good clothes iron. You burn your hand opening the car door, which also happened to me. Farmers feed their chickens crushed ice to keep them from laying hard-boiled eggs. Finally, the cows are giving out evaporated milk. I trust my friends, as we live in these end times, as we await Jesus' coming, the signs are clear and unmistakable. Be it through the constant political conflicts and wars we see that don't seem to end, the escalating earthquakes in the past decade, the widespread diseases that plague our world, including COVID, these are the signs of the times that Jesus is coming soon. And when He does, it's a day not just of celebration and joy, but a day of wrath. And living with the Lord now on this side of eternity until He makes all things new must translate to discipling now. Because now is the only time we have, the only time we have left. 
Now, in our January series, our senior pastors and the preaching team has taken us through that as we get ready to meet King Jesus in discipling now, that there are three arenas. There is discipling generations, not just our younger ones, but also the seniors, because our population is graying. Discipling Singapore, be it impacting our marketplace, serving and reaching the community, all the nations through our prayer, through mission trips, through outreach to internationals here. Now, the, the, the senior team and the preaching team and, and the leadership will unfold some of these things along the way. But for now, would you begin, pray, ask God to give you a very clear step forward to disciple now. We had had a week of Chinese New Year visitations to bless our family and friends. Another week is coming. We still have a week or so. And in time to come, Alpha will happen. And we want to strongly encourage you that by all means, in all ways, to all people, disciple now. I share this story with permission uh, from Nicole. Nicole did not believe in God. She thought that she was good enough as a person. But she knew that she had a lot of pride that she could not contain and she tried to hide. And along the way, she could not answer very basic questions about why am I here? What is my purpose on earth? Who am I? She got invited to join us for our Sunday services and along the way to the Alpha course. And during that period, a dove flew into her room. And she was wondering, what is this? Is this a sign? What does it mean? And during the Alpha course, she was watching the Jesus movie and she saw the scene that Jesus was baptized and lo and behold, a dove from heaven came upon Jesus. And she knew it was divine appointment, so to cut a long story short, seven church visits and five Alpha sessions later, Nicole prayed to receive Christ. And this is what she described of her life with God now. She says that life with God is learning to surrender to God because He will always be with me. I am a child of God. I am here to love God, love myself, and love one another. I love because He first loved us. I am here to serve and spread good deeds according to God's will. Can we give a clap of thanks and praise to God for what God is doing? I really believe God is on the move and for some of us, if you're interested to bring your family and friends to the Alpha course, we're going to flash that right now so that you can at least take a snapshot. But essentially, the opportunities are all there in various forms, various times, various ways. And God's call, I believe, as we await for Jesus' coming, live with the Lord, not just in the other side of eternity, but now and disciple now. Let me close with this final story. In 1985, there was a very wealthy and rich man by the name of James Gordon Bennett. He founded a famous newspaper in New York called the New York Herald. And this was what was said about this very wealthy man, that he had two lavish apartments in Paris, a French country estate, and a yacht harbored in Europe. He also had three homes in the United States, even though he hadn't lived there for more than 10 years. But the servants in each of his homes always needed, always needed to be prepared for his unexpected arrival. He can appear through the front door anytime. And in the biography of this man, James Gordon Bennett, it was said that every of his house was fully staffed 
ready to meet Bennett should he strike in the front door unannounced. The wine cellars were kept stocked up. Fires roared on the grates or in the fireplace. Bed sheets were folded and turned down nightly, ready to meet their master. My dear friends, as we begin this series this year, as the church, as the spiritual family, I trust we cannot miss the call from God on high. Get ready for my arrival. It will come soon, sooner than you think, and I will come unannounced. Be ready to meet your King. I'm going to invite us to bow our heads in prayer right now before God. As we come to a time of responding to Him, And later on together, as part of remembering all that Jesus has done, we will respond towards the tail end with Holy Communion as well. But for now, my friends, I believe every time the Scriptures are open, God summons us. He summons His church, His people. What is God saying? That one thing to you. What is the one thing prayer you want to utter to Him. The one thing you need to do. As we bow in prayer before the Lord, I want to first of all give an invitation to those of us who are spiritual family. I don't know about you, I am easily distracted. And perhaps this past Chinese New Year week, we have been very busy preparing New Year goodies, making the houses stocked up, and very easily we lose sight of eternity. Or we're just very concerned, where would my children be posted after the major exams? But here is an invitation from God. Turn your eyes heavenward once more, because I'm coming soon. And when you do, it will change the way you live now. If that's you, my friends, I'm going to right now pray. I'm going to invite you to join me in this prayer. And if that's you, we're going to put our hands together to say, Lord, that's me. Remember us as your church. Here's how this prayer goes. Lord Jesus, you are coming sooner than I think and coming unannounced. I want to be ready. Forgive me when I live for the temporary rather than eternal. Fix my eyes heavenward once more. Overhaul my priorities in my short life on earth. Make me ready to suffer for you. Come what may, to please you in every way. That as I live with you on this side of eternity, I may bear fruit in every work till I live with you on the other side. In Jesus' name. My friend, if that's you with our heads bowed before the Lord, can I just invite you to put up your hand up high right where you are to say, yep, that's me. That's my heart's desire. Yes, the Lord sees that. Lord, you see all these hands raised to you. This is our simple but sincere desire. Lord, make our lives count. 
with this short life we have for the sake of Jesus and the gospel and for eternity. We ask you for this for your sake, O Lord, so that more come to know Jesus even through our lives. Thank you. You may put your hand down. I want to invite us as we continue in this time of prayer. I want to make an invitation to those of us who are not Christians yet. And this morning, my friends, you hear that there is a time of wrath coming when Jesus returns. And you know that you need Jesus to come and save and rescue you from that wrath. The good news, my friends, is that Jesus gave you a cure for it at the cross. And I want to invite you to open up your heart right now as you pray this with me for the very first time asking Jesus into your life. Here's how that prayer goes. Lord Jesus, you came to kill a spiritual virus called sin by giving the antidote called love. You love me on that cross so that my sins can be forgiven, even mine. I call upon you and ask you to save me. Forgive me, cleanse me, turn me from sin. Thank you that you will establish me in holiness at your coming. Make me holy that I may show Jesus to others till you come again. In Jesus' name. If that's any of you here that did that with me for the very first time, especially here in person, can I invite you to just to put up your hand up high as well, right where you are? We just want to just acknowledge you, pray with you as you begin this newfound faith with God before we move on. Eternal God, our Father, we thank you that every time the Scriptures are open, your Word goes forth to fulfil that which you, you were purposed to accomplish. And we ask therefore for our friends and family, especially those yet to know you, they would taste the joy one day of receiving Jesus. And let therefore your Word continue to work in their hearts. We give you thanks. We ask this in Jesus' name. And we say together, Amen. I want to invite you to do something together. If, if you require prayer to say, yeah, I, I, want to, I, want to, I need prayer so that I keep my life and my heart focused as I wait for Jesus, uh, feel free to scan the code that's going to come up on screen. And for those of us who also prayed to receive Christ for the very first time, I want to invite you to scan that code too so that someone can be in touch with you and share this journey with you as you begin your life with God together. God bless. Shall we rise and respond with this song?
invite us to stand as I pray a prayer of benediction for all of us so we come to a close of this service dear Lord we thank you so much for your incredible grace and love poured over your church and right now we receive your blessings the Lord bless you and keep you the Lord make his face to shine upon you the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace both now and forevermore in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone says, Amen. Amen. Thank you. God bless you with a wonderful week ahead. We're glad you had spent some time listening to God's Word. And we hope that the message has ministered to you. Should you require more assistance, kindly call 6892-6811. Or you can visit us at www.cefc.org.sg for more sermon titles. God bless you in your spiritual pilgrimage ahead.